Hi, I'm Kristen Howerton, and I blog at Rage Against the Minivan. And I'm Paul Martin, and I blog at Polisophia. And you're listening to Why Partisan, a political conversation between two friends from different sides of the aisle. I'm a Democrat. And I'm a Republican, and we are both passionate political junkies trying to figure out how to have a civil discourse about politics. From social justice issues to the intersection of race, religion, and public policy, we're delving into all aspects of the political arena. Hey guys. Okay, well this week we are going to um, do a bit of a deeper dive into this entire Stormy Daniels debacle. Um, This does not seem to be going away. It is becoming a very interesting and complex legal situation. And we wanted to talk about why it's important and what some of the implications are of this scenario. So if you are not familiar, Paul, what is this whole thing about? Under previous administrations, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, we know that for 16 years under Bush and Obama, these topics never came up. Um, No, but they certainly did with Clinton. They certainly did with Clinton. And many people want to bring that up. But the fact is, uh, every so often, whether it's a Kennedy or whether it's a Clinton or Mm -hmm. in this case, whether it's a Trump, these issues come up and they're important issues because there's a... There's a simple reality in leadership, whether you're the mayor of a town or the principal of a school or the CEO of a company, that these types of, you know, sexual relations uh, in situations where their power differentials uh, matter to people. Yeah. And, you know, in general, given that Trump really won um, by the base of evangelical Christians, you know, not only are there some legal implications, um, There are some moral implications as well, and maybe some questions that need to be asked about, you know, um, why he seems to be the darling of evangelicals. But we'll get to that in a second. So in case you're not familiar with what we're talking about, Stormy Daniels, not her real name, um, I believe her real name is Stephanie Clifford, um, is a adult film star, um, has been for quite some time, apparently a more popular one. Um, and back in, I believe, 2006, prior to being, you know, president or even um, probably prior to him thinking about being president, um, apparently he had an affair with said porn star. Yes, it was, um, I think, a few months shortly after his son was born. So after he'd been married to yeah, his current wife. Yeah, Melania. His son had been born, and mm-hmm. he met her apparently in Lake Tahoe and then later in Beverly Hills. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds like, um, you know, it was a, it was a short affair. Um, and then at some point, she was paid off not to talk about it. Now, do we know, was she paid off? During his election or prior to that? Yeah, so as it goes, uh, she was paid $130,000 just before the 2016 election. Okay. In what she calls hush money. Okay. And this is where it can get... So on the one side, we kind of have the moral issue. We have the issue of, is this good for our country, our children? Yuck. Kind of the Bill Clinton side of it. But Bill Clinton's issues weren't merely about morality. They became legal. And that's kind of where yeah. this is going, because if it was indeed hush money um, and if it was indeed paid, depending on where it came from, there could be campaign finance violations. And that's where right. on a legal issue, this isn't just this isn't just about some sleazy, you know, uh, tabloid uh, 
uh, scandal, it's much, much more problematic for Trump. Well, and so, you know, based on the timing, obviously what happened is at some point when Trump started to run, he realized, oh, crap, I've got some, you know, some dirt on me out there and, you know, probably made a list and then went to those women or his attorney went to those women and offered you know, to pay for their silence. And, you know, in legal terms, we can call this a non-disclosure. Mm. Um, but, you know, in, in practical speaking parlance, we do call it hush money. It is the same thing. Um, but, you know, apparently, you know, as he's beginning to run, he thinks, okay, I got to, you know, I got to quiet the, you know, the dirt that's out there. So it's, you know, it's interesting also to wonder, is she the only one that he had to pay off? I somehow doubt it. But this is one of them, and she she's feisty. Yeah, she's feisty. She's not a dumb woman. No, she's not. And I think there have been other payoffs. And again, I feel like I need to say to my Republican friends, because I very often, daily in my campaign, am told that I'm a rhino. That's an acronym for Republican in name only. <laughs> or a, some people say I'm a liberal plant. I'm really not. That's funny. Um, if I was, uh, you know, if this was a Democrat president, I would be saying the exact same thing. The pink elephant in the room for me oftentimes is why more Republicans aren't concerned with something like this and the way that they would be if this was all happening to Hillary Clinton or to Barack Obama. That's where I think Republicans and Democrats in their own way are just not dealing with facts. Well, case in point, I mean, I remember when the Clinton, you know, affair was happening I was in high school living with two very Republican parents, and I remember them telling me, you know, the morality of your president is a big deal, mm -hmm. of your president. And if, you know, if he has done something, whether or not it's in the scope of office, if he's done something lacking in integrity, he should not be president. And yet that and that mindset was drilled into me. And yet now, you know, those very same people, literally and figuratively, um, are seem to be looking aside. Right. And so if you're a Republican and I'm running for Congress as a Republican, you know, I'm for a small government and a big military and all kinds of Republican values. If you find yourself cringing with this podcast, I genuinely want you to ask yourself why. Because again, you, if this was Barack Obama and all the facts were the same, the Access Hollywood tape, the 16 women who have come out, you know, this isn't something new with, with Trump, things that he has, has said explicitly about women. Uh, I won't say some of those things here on the podcast because we want to have a clean rating or something. What is, what is it? like? Yeah. <laughs> we, we go into a different category. We don't want to be in the explicit yeah, We don't want to be explicit. So I'm not going to use some of the words yeah, that Donald Trump has used regarding women. But you know, We all know them. Yeah. We, we have to ask ourselves, ask ourselves why... Do we do many Republicans just l overlook this? This is not a liberal, um, you know, this is not a liberal creation. It's not a democratic creation. In fact, it's important to know that Trump has utterly denied himself any relationship with Stormy Daniels. But just the other day, um, Donald Trump's uh, press secretary, Sarah Sanders, this was just a few days ago, said, and I quote, Arbitration was won in the president's favor, unquote, regarding mm. the case. So you hear me? You have his press secretary 
admitting right. that there was an arbitration agreement, right. an agreement for you know her, her to keep to her mouth quiet. shut. And, and the so so he had an affair. Well, except with, this is where this gets really interesting and really tricky, and where. Trump's impulsivity really shoots himself in the foot because he went on record saying, I never signed a non-disclosure agreement with this woman. But the problem is, if he says he never signed it, that means she can talk. And so now she has come forward saying, you know what? It's true. He didn't sign it. She signed it. The attorney signed it. There was a spot for Trump to sign. He didn't sign. And he had a he had a fake name too. What was it? Yeah, Daniel well, Dennison yes, or something. Yes. And so if he didn't sign, she's alleging that that makes it null and void. And he has admitted he didn't sign. Right. So she's now saying, look, I'll return the money. I want to be able to talk. Right. And again, I want to say Kristen Kristen and I like our best day is when we're talking about issues of social injustice or issues having to do with just clear uh, kind of ethical issues where 80% of Americans would say, yes, we can do better as a country with this. These are the types of podcasts where we cringe a little, but we also feel that they're really important because they deal with, in this case, you know, Bill Clinton was impeached for stuff like this. And so when it starts kind of going up the ladder of legalities, mm-hmm. um, and another point, uh, the $130,000 was paid by Trump's long, long time uh, attorney, Michael Cohen. Right. So there is no dispute as to whether money was paid, but it seems like Trump tried a clever way uh, to have her reimbursed through his longtime attorney. And here we are with huge global issues and domestic issues. And we have another scandal that, again, to my Republican friends, if everything exactly like this was happening with Barack Obama, you would not be silent about it. And we have to be honest with ourselves. Right. And, you know, just some other legal intricacies of this entire case. So the money that was paid to Stormy Daniels, um, that attorney, Mr. Cohen, said it came from his own personal funds. Um, However, other people, including the Root Common Cause with the Federal Election Commission, um, are arguing that the payments violated campaign finance laws. A lot of people don't believe that it came from his personal pocket. I mean, why would an attorney do that? That's not what attorneys do. Well, and, and again, the interesting thing is Cohen is saying he paid it, but Trump never knew. Right, which is, okay, that's another interesting legal thing because he is required to take any settlement to his client. Mm -hmm. And what's also interesting is that even today he is required to disclose to his client any contact he's had. And Mr. Cohen has continued to warn Stormy Daniels that she must not talk. So he's doing that present day. Yeah, because 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes right. interviewed, and right. they filed a lawsuit to not right. allow Anderson Cooper's segment with her to right. go on next week. But he is still, you know, in communication with Trump about that, mm-hmm. you know, because he was his client and likely still is, although, you know, they're, they probably have a back door. But, yeah, it's just the whole thing is really shady. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this interview that she is trying to get, you know. Aired. Aired. Um, apparently the, the hush money, um, protects both her talking about it 
and sharing any texts, photos, or videos. <laughs> I, won't, oh. I, won't, I won't use my imagination. Yeah. I just did. Darn it. Um, uh, dang it. <laughs> I won't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. So and let's just back up a bit. I mean, look, we all heard Trump in the bus saying the things he said. And, you know, people on the far right want to say, oh, that's locker room talk. That's the way men talk. No, they don't. Um, At least I, yeah. man, I, yeah. Uh, but anyway, just to make things clear, sexual misconduct allegations have been made against Trump by at least 19 women. Trump has denied every single one of the allegations, saying that he has been the victim of media bias, conspiracies, and political smear campaigns. Do you believe that? No. Just come on. <laughs> so at this point, I think many of my Republican friends are going to want to say something like, you know, none of this really matters. What matters are his policies, are his tax breaks. And, you know, when he was on, uh, when he did his campaign rally the other day in Pennsylvania and called Chuck Todd a sleepy son of a beep in front of the entire country, many are wanting to say, well, that's those, those are just words, you know. Calling somebody a name isn't really bad. Those are just words. And that's kind of what this conversation is about. Yeah, it is. What matters. Yeah. And this should. I mean, and, you know, I think that devil's advocate would say, well, this happened before. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting the way that people who take a strong stance on morality, can sort of change their narrative when it comes to Trump. And I think they would say, you know, he's a changed man, and this happened a long time ago, and he's met Jesus, and he's not like that anymore. <laughs> I'm not buying it, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to laugh. Yeah. I just, I just, I'm a realist, and Kristen is too, and I know if this was Barack Obama. Oh, uh, I, I mean, mean. Or Hillary Clinton with 19 men. I yeah. mean, they'd have her for lunch, and that's where is Well, not, by 19, you're referring to... Affairs The or, 19, yeah, alleged. Yeah, what, 19 women yeah. going back decades. This isn't, right. you know... Um, this happened. Many of them happened. We all know that Trump's capable of that. These are, these are, and these are incidents of sexual uh, intrusion, abuse, not consensual issues. The woman right. Stormy's consensual, but most of the others yeah. are issues where he abused his power. And um, I think we need to be honest with ourselves, guys, gals. You know, and it's t it's tough too. I mean, and again, it's like looking at the hypocrisy of the religious right, this, I just do think that it's of note that the affair was with a porn star. It wasn't with a woman he fell in love with. It wasn't a, you know, someone he knew. I mean, I would imagine he sought her out, you know? Yeah. And what's, again, what's intriguing in this situation, unlike the Clinton situation, is that with Trump, 
these women, and I've heard a few of them in my worst moments of, you know, watching whatever news channel and interviewing. And these women, there's kind of a common narrative, kind of like the Bill Cosby narrative. Yeah. You know, we got together and he wanted me to come over and then yep. he gave me a drink and I started feeling tired. And totally. Like there was a consistency, which is something lawyers look for. With Trump, there is a consistency as well. And one of them is, you know, I was with him in a private place and he just started kissing me. Well, then we have Trump on tape saying, I can't help myself. Right. I just start kissing No, them. it's all consistent. So he is actually affirming the testimony yeah. of the victims that are that he's accusing of. Right. It's just, and so what do we do? That's what I'm Yeah, wondering. I don't know. I really don't know. You know, it's like, I don't think, I mean, to be honest, I don't think any of this has real implications for his current presidency. You know, I mean, this is not like the Clinton thing where there was impeachability because he had, you know, lied under oath and because it was an intern and so there was, you know, some sexual harassment element to it. I mean, this is a thing that happened a long time ago that does not have legal bearing on his current presidency, in my opinion. But I do think it has a bearing on his popularity amongst the religious right. Major bearing, especially women. Yeah, and we just we were just looking at a Pew poll, Chris and I, that shows that his approval amongst white—I don't know about white—white white evangelical women, evangelical women. Well, he never had the approval of black evangelical that's true. women. That's true. Um, <laughs> I those, mean, there were three, but yeah. anyway, uh, has gone down over ten percent. That's that's pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, so if you're an evangelical white woman, you're starting to think, you know, I, you know, honey your husband. I, I just can't do this anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's shift and talk about that because there was an interesting article um, in the New York Times about this shift in his um, approval ratings amongst evangelicals um, and in particular amongst evangelical women. And I think the title was even that evangelical women are tiptoeing away. Yeah. And it's, you know, this isn't fake news. This is just what's happening. I'm running for Congress, and I meet with men and women all week long. And the women I meet with, Trump-supporting women, you know, kind of say, oh, it's getting really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, you know, I meet with one and her and her husband on this massive company, you know, worth tens of millions of dollars. And she was talking about the corporate tax rate. She said, you know, this is going to allow us to do this for our kids' college. And she was super happy. And I'm happy for her. Uh, but also she was saying, oh, gosh, I don't know how much more I could stand of these just the, the, the tweets and the comments and the women and everything else. But according to data from Pew Research Center, support among white evangelical women in recent surveys has dropped about 13 percent, uh, dropped to 60 percent compared with a year ago. Uh, and that's a problem uh, for Trump. It is. Um, Although, you know, it's tough. While I think that um, that approval rating is reducing amongst evangelical women, white evangelical women, um, they do still, the majority of white evangelical women are still supporting him. And I think in many cases, it's still, it's a vote against Hillary. It's a vote for Supreme Court justice. Um... Even in the face of the Me Too movement, even in the face of, you know, these claims about his marital infidelity, um, they 
They are still in his corner, a majority. Yeah, I mean, a majority, but I am of the opinion as a very centrist, raging centrist, moderate candidate, I'm plugging myself. I think the Republican Party is going to change. I think the Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr., Tony Perkins fringe of the party that has its last, I believe it has its last stand right now with yeah. Trump. I really do. I talk to Republicans all the time, and their patience is wearing thin yeah. on this. I mean, how do you defend this guy? He's not a good human being. Yeah. Um, and I'm a I'm a Reagan, you know, McCain, George Bush, old school, lifelong Republican. Donald Trump is just not a good human being. He's not. There's an interesting quote in this um, New York Times article that we're discussing, and we'll link it up on our website, whypartisan.com. But this is from Karen Swallow Pryor. Um, she's a professor at Liberty, but she's also a writer, and we run in some similar circles, and we often disagree. Um, but I appreciated this quote from her. She said, I was one of those culture war evangelicals in the 80s and 90s. Um, as was I, <laughs> I will note. Um, and she says, I was appalled by the candidacy and presidency of Bill Clinton. It was hammered into my mind that character mattered and that did change when Trump came along. In some ways, I felt betrayed by my evangelical peers who taught me and cemented in me the idea that character matters. I didn't abandon that belief. I feel like some evangelicals did. Interesting. And I just, I mean, I was just saying that a few minutes ago. I, I absolutely feel the same way. It's like, I feel like there's this entire generation looking at our parents going, you guys, this is the opposite of what you taught me. Yeah. Yeah. Where are, where have you gone? Yeah. Uh, I have to say my wife recently and her parents are lovely people. They, you know, they're just wonderful people, but, uh, you know, they're, they're Republicans, Trump supporters, I think in, in one way or another. And I think her dad might have been defending a part of him. And, and she in a very, my wife is very, um, as you know, Kristen, just kind and soft-spoken and would never shout, but said, how, dad, everything you taught me from the time I was a little girl about kindness and, and goodness and patience and how do you defend that? Because, because this man is everything... He's the opposite of what you told me I should invest in and be. Totally. And I think there's a, I do think that there's a wave um, starting amongst Republicans who are confused. Chris, I want to ask you this. So to me, there's a difference between a consensual affair, mm -hmm. say Trump and Stormy Daniels. Right. Um, and sexual abuse. Oh, sure. The women who say, he grabbed me, he wouldn't let me go. Huge difference. I was difference. in an elevator. That's a violation. Yes. And one is a crime. Right. One is a, you know, perhaps moral crisis. And in the middle, I mean, I'm going to say it's in the middle, although it's not really, it's it's wrong. But then you have a Monica Lewinsky where it was legal, but it was a power differential. Right. Well, although, you know, in some cases that could... In some cases, that situation could have been considered sexual harassment, which right, while right. not, yeah, I mean, that that would be a legal issue. And so we're talking about three things here. Yeah. But with Trump, we definitely, like Roy Moore, we have, you know, what appear to be credible. I mean, the whole idea, everyone listening, if you think that all 19 women are plants of the Democrat Party, they are all lying, I just think you need to go get a life. Because that is just not, I'm sorry, but that's just not the way it works in the real world. These women 
do not get big book deals. They basically lose their lives and become scorned by friends and family for standing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. That needs to make, be, I mean, you know this, Christian, more than I do. That me- needs to be made really clear because a lot of people think that all of these women are doing this for their own interests. Yeah, I and I absolutely don't think they are. Um, in fact, you know, you note that a lot of these women did, took their time to come out. You know, they didn't come out as he was running. Um, and I think some of them were emboldened by each other. Um, but there are many reasons that women don't come out. Um, and one of which is that, you know, your character is immediately criticized and slammed in the media. Um, you know, people are going to pick it apart and they're going to try to, um, you know, basically make it look like you deserved it. You're a liar. You're litigious. You know, they're going to try to minimize, deny, shift blame. Um, which is why a lot of women don't come out. Yeah. But also it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a situation in a workplace in my past where there was blatant and crude sexual harassment that took place. Hmm. And the victim, this is an employee who was being harassed by the president, um, just could not bring herself to come out. And the reason, and she started suffering from like serious somatic symptoms from the abuse she was enduring was just simply that he told her, number one, I will smear you. I will ruin you. I have the power. And mm-hmm. if you ever think of telling anyone, you will be toast. I will deny it. And you will look like an absolute idiot. Um, and it kept her in chains for a year and, and resulted in some very sad uh, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and things like that. And so I think it's important that men understand that women who are sexually harassed uh, are victims. Uh, Here you have a situation where the president is claiming to be the victim. And that's usually the case with with abusers. They blame Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to take a second to talk about one of our sponsors. Really cool. This is like a really cool one. It is a really cool deal. And for those of you who have middle school or teenage kids, um, first of all, we feel you. (laughs) Because Paul and I both do as well. Uh, But second of all, we want to introduce a really cool sponsor. This product is a lifesaver for busy parents. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Princeton Reviews Homework Help. It is an on-demand tutoring that lets your kids um, find a tutor online. It is pretty awesome. Yeah, and like this is 21st century teaching, and your child is matched to a tutor in less than one minute, anytime, from anywhere. It's super easy. Uh, 50 subjects are covered. Um, you know, if your kid's struggling with a tough problem, and if you have teenagers, that's common, they could be hooked up in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Princeton Review is not affiliated with Princeton University. It's an online hub for expert tutors that are trained to help kids learn the concept they're studying, not just give the answers. So it's that, you know, teach a kid to fish philosophy. They're not just about helping with the answers. They're helping about, they're, they're helping them really learn the concepts. And there's a big difference when I, you know, three teenage kids, there's a big difference between trying to help them with the problem versus teaching them the concept. And so you basically have professionals who just know how to make the kids get it. And users have reported a boost in confidence, and 96% of students who use the service reported improved grades. I think that's really cool. Yeah, my son and I hopped on um, with Princeton Review, and it it really is how they say, totally seamless, connected to a tutor within a minute. He had some math homework he finished in under five minutes, 
And the best part is I did not have to be involved. I did not have to figure out how to solve the math problem first before helping my son. I could outsource it to someone who knew better. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to try it out. And and we have a special offer for listeners. You can try 60 minutes of on-demand tutoring for free. Just go to PrincetonReview.com forward slash Y-Partisan to start your free trial. That's PrincetonReview.com and then the slash and Y-Partisan for 60 minutes of on-demand tutoring absolutely free. Awesome. Well, we have one last topic we want to discuss this week, and this one is a heartbreaking one. Um, And it is the topic of children being separated from their parents in the process of seeking asylum or refuge in the United States. Um, And, you know, we know that this is an issue. Um, A couple years ago, there was a big um, news story about how many Mexican refugee children were being held basically in prison-like conditions um, you know, and it, this this is a problem. We have people who cross the border, some legally, some illegally. Um, but when they are detained, they are not treated humanely. And this week, um, a, a story broke that has gotten a lot of national attention. It's a little girl in Chicago. She's seven years old. She and her mother fled the Congo. And so they're from Africa. They came to Southern California. Seeking... How did they get in? They just took a flight, somehow got money. and They in. did. But here's the thing. They followed all the rules. They passed an initial screening that said that they had a strong case for asylum. And then they were separated with no explanation. So the mom is in an Im- immigration facility in San Diego. Meanwhile, the daughter is taken 2,000 miles away, um, and they have not been given any explanation, nor have they been reunited. Um, four months later, she, they, you know, they are still separated. Um, and so um, the American Civil Liberties Union has filed a lawsuit on the behalf of the mother and child asking for them to be reunited. But this case, you know, this case has gotten a lot of attention, but you have to wonder how often is this happening in cases that we don't hear about? Um, we have heard a lot of stories of, of, you know, DHS separating women and children for reasons other than protecting the child. And, you know, DHS answers and they say, well, you know, sometimes we do it to protect from child trafficking or sometimes, you know, lots of different reasons. But it's, you know, I mean, as a mother and as a former foster mother, four months of this kid being away from her parents, that would be unacceptable to any of us for our own children. And you also have to wonder who's caring for her? Who's putting this little girl to bed every night? Who is... Caring for her emotional needs at age seven. I mean, it's it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, and I so often, even in the a local community Facebook thread right now, there's a big debate over racism happening. Um, I weighed in and said, I think what just happened is wrong. And I started getting hit like crazy by far right-wing Republicans saying I'm being politically correct, I'm a Democrat. If this, if these people were Swedish, right? I, right. I just happen to think that we are in a time right now where yep. people of color, whether mm-hmm. they have brown skin from the Middle East, whether they're from Mexico, it just seems to be the case. In a very general sense, many of you are going to disagree, but it seems to be the case that 
darker skinned people are getting, or Jews, and we don't even need to talk about what Vladimir Putin said this week about the Jews, but. Well, maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. Um, it seems to be the case. And I think that, you know, I, I, I think back to what Pat Buchanan said in 2016. Pat Buchanan is a longtime Republican, was a speechwriter for Reagan, ran for president and failed. And he was interviewed by NPR. And, um, and I'm quoting here. He said, we're 25 years away from the fact where Americans of European descent will be a minority in the United States. And the NPR person said, well, why do you see that as a problem? And he says, well, because I look at Europe and I look all over the world and I see people's everywhere at each other's throats over issues of ethnicity and identity. Anybody who believes a country, I mean, and this really happened, uh, can be maintained that has no ethnic core to it, I believe is naive in the extreme. Now he was a big Trump supporter. Uh, and the reporter says, you understand how that language feels? And he says, I don't care how my language sits with the people, my job's to tell the truth. And he basically says, um, Buchanan says, well, um, it's an America that's a country like the one when I grew, that I grew up in, and it was a pretty good country. So, you know, in so 2042, gross. in 2042, most Americans will have dark skin, according to the U.S. Census. That's a fact. And it seems to be the case that the current administration is working very hard uh, to say they're not racist, but if you have dark skin, it certainly is the case that you are getting yeah yeah and i think that you know that um that is one of the things that's really problematic about this story is that our country has a very horrible history of removing children of color from their parents um there's another story in november jose fuentes and his one-year-old son arrived to the u.s seeking asylum um, signing of the threat of gang violence. They were from El Salvador. Um, the father had his passport and the little boy's birth certificate, documents reviewed and confirmed. But again, the one-year-old was taken away to Texas while the father remained in detention in San Diego. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't even make sense from a budget perspective or a humanitarian perspective. What was the background again of them? Um, he he fled due to to due to gang violence in El Salvador. Right. So he was again seeking asylum. But you know, even if these people, let's say that they are just completely fully here illegally, they just crawled under a fence and they're here. Why separate them from their children? Someone has to look over that one year old. Someone's being paid to look after that one year old. Why shouldn't it be his father? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was with. Uh another GOP candidate's advisor the other day. And, you know, this guy genuinely believes they broke the law. They're lawbreakers. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they've lost all advantages. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And I'm telling you, that's a big part of the Republican right wing. But these children didn't break the law. And so they deserve to be with their family. And But also, we are a country that prides itself on not abusing our, you know, even, even our, our inmates, you know, even our prisoners. We don't think that that's okay to abuse prisoners. And it is child abuse to take a child away from their parent for no reason. There's no one that can disagree with that. And I guarantee you, these kids are not being treated in a way that's not traumatizing by whoever is caring for them. 
God knows no, who's caring no matter, for them. No matter who you are or what color your skin is, when you're ripped away from mommy or daddy when right. you're two, right. that's child abuse. You know, and it's just like, I feel like, I feel like we have basic standards in this country and this is embarrassing. Well, we did. We used to. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. I mean, you're right. But it's like, why is no one outraged about this? If And especially, again, you know, and it's like we keep circling the drain on this hypocrisy of the Republican Party. But if Republicans are the party that value family values, um, shouldn't kids be with their parents? The Republican Party does not value family values. Well, I know. It's, it it we used to work know. well, but it's very clear now that the party values they value family values of a certain kind of family. Right. Um, you know, law-abiding, uh, educated, Republican, uh, tax-paying. Uh, you know, it's a certain kind yeah. of axiom that I, 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 I think it just – you can't take a two-year-old away from mommy. I'm sorry. No. The two-year-old did nothing wrong. No, absolutely. I agree. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I think that for our listeners who, um, you know, whether it, you, whether you view yourself as an advocate of human rights, whether you, you know, believe strongly in social justice, maybe you're a listener and you do claim to be pro-life or of family values, we need to be watching closely what is happening with refugees and asylum seekers in our country and how they are being treated as families and how their children are being treated. We need to be paying attention to this because this is an atrocity happening right under our noses. It's a real, real human rights violation um, that we need to be asking questions about and talking about. All right, well... On that cheerful note. <laughs> um, How about them Lakers? I know. Um, you guys can catch up with all of the articles um, that we have talked about on our website, whypartisan.com, and we will chat soon. Goodbye. Be sure to subscribe to Why Partisan on iTunes and check us out on the web at whypartisan.com. A big thanks to Shepard Audio for providing our intro music.